The following podcast is a live recording of a radio show first broadcast by Fresh FM with assistance from New Zealand On Air. Thanks very much for joining me for another episode of Climate Matters, an episode where we interview another political candidate for the elections. I'm Lindsay Wood. I'm from climate strategy company Resilience Limited. And Climate Matters is brought to you by Fresh FM, the top of the South's community access radio station. Fresh FM broadcasts in Blenheim on 88.9, to Eastern Golden Bay on 95.0, to the Nelson CBD on 107.2, and across the Nelson-Tasman region on 104.8. It's also streamed to the planet on freshfm.net, and podcasts of Climate Matters and of other locally produced shows are available through freshfm.net and through the accessmedia.nz app. But just before we get on to listening to Rachel, I do want to give a plug for the Nelsus, the Nelson Sustainable Transport Group's Not Your Normal Candidate meeting on this Thursday, the September the 28th at 7.30pm at the Victory Community Centre. These not-your-normal-candidate meetings have got quite a reputation. They include great entertainment. They include um, coffee and a meal, oh, not a meal, a, a snack at the end of it, and really good engagement with the, the different uh, candidates. You'll be able to hear Re- Rachel again there along with several others. So do come along to the Victory Community Centre September the 28th at 7.30 p.m. and hear what the candidates have to say in person. Well, today's uh, interview is with current MP for Nelson, Rachel Boyack, the Labour MP, and so I will leave you to get on with the uh, pre-recorded interview, and I hope you enjoy it. It's a special pleasure to welcome Rachel Boyack to the show. Rachel is well known as Nelson's current MP and as Labour's candidate for Nelson in the coming elections. She's also known for championing social equity and justice issues as well as having a professional background in labor relations. Additionally, she holds a music degree and is an accomplished singer, including having been in the New Zealand Youth Choir. Yay, I missed an opportunity to ask her to sing for us now. (laughs) And I'm delighted to read in Rachel's election notes that among her priorities for the region is working closely with our two councils to address climate change. Tēnā Rachel, a very warm welcome, and many thanks for joining us on the show. Lindsay. Thanks for having me on today. Great. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Let's get into it. There'll be many reasons why you're standing for Parliament. But of course, this is a climate-focused show, and I'd like to start by picking up on that priority I've just mentioned and ask you to give listeners a more specific sense of the climate issues you would most like to work with councils on and how you would like to see that collaboration unfolding. Well, thanks, Lindsay. It's a great question and I think a really important issue to touch on. Uh, the work that happens um, between local government and central government. There are so many areas where local and central government partner together on big issues. Um, housing is, is a good example. And um, for me, um, councils play a big role in uh, in emissions reduction plans. So they have a huge role to play in terms of the leadership they provide in the community. One of the little um, bits of information I wanted to share today that I found really interesting was when 
um, the Auditor General has recently audited all of the council's long-term plans. What they found was that those councils that had declared a climate emergency had actually put more resource and taken more steps to address climate change. So it oh, often I gets, didn't know that. Hmm. I, I thought it was fascinating because people sometimes say, oh, look, it's just, it's just virtue signalling. But what the evidence shows is that if you've made that commitment, then your staff and uh, your elected members who are putting those plans together are far more likely to have made decisions that are actually going to benefit the climate. So I thought that was a fascinating little piece of information that mm, we, we touched on. In but but if, I, if I look really specifically at Nelson, obviously we have two councils here. And so if you look, uh, first of all, at Nelson City Council, what we know about our Nelson area is that I think around 70%, so the vast majority of our emissions come from transport. And so over it's the actually, past- can I just chip in? If you take household emissions, it's even higher. It's 94%. Doesn't, yes, doesn't surprise me, me at all. And, mm. and so one of the challenges we have in Nelson is we have a, a high uh, usage of cars. And so there are a number of things that we need to be doing and that we have already made some good steps on in order to reduce our transport emissions in Nelson. So part of that is the work government has been doing to increase the uptake of electric vehicles, which is going very, very well. Um, but locally, what's most exciting, uh, listeners will be aware of our new bus service. And that is something I've been championing for 15 years is uh, getting people out of their cars and onto buses. And, you know, I'm so delighted with the, with the new bus service and that the buses are electric, but also that people are trying them. Uh, mm. We've had a big increase in and a number of people using public transport in Nelson. And that will only continue as we continue to invest. So there'll be further investment in the coming years to double the frequency of those buses again um, so that we can get more and more people using them. I mean, another really interesting area is around waste and food waste. And um, Council is doing some excellent work in this area, uh, funding programs, and so is government. And, um, you know, you look at services like Fire Rescue, that receive support from both city council and from and from government because we have a big profile in New Zealand, a big emissions profile in terms of food waste. And uh, that's a big issue for government to be tackling across the whole country. But in Nelson, we've had a number of good initiatives, particularly um, Kai Rescue's program that takes food from suppliers that, that can no longer be sold and then redistributes the food to uh, to community groups who work with vulnerable people. So there's some really exciting work there. And then the other thing I'll just mention is, is around housing. And uh, we know that um, if we continue to push out with urban sprawl, that actually leads to a higher level of emissions. And uh, we have um, granted $35 million to Nelson City Council to do the enabling work so that they can build up because that... Oh, obviously limits um you know limits the transport movements of people and and as a result reduces emissions so um there's a number of ways that councils and central government can work together and um that that's very much the role of the local mp is to be looking for those opportunities and making sure councils are receiving the funding that they should be from government um and then also making sure that you're giving that feedback back to ministers about what councils would find useful in order to continue doing their work. 
good start to our show. I'm going to give you a little bit of a harder time with the other questions. You probably know that because I've oh, you've okay. seen them already. <laughs> but uh, but good on you. That's starting off on the right foot. So I want to go into Labor's climate policy now. I found it pretty hard to get a sense of a cohesive Labor climate policy, at least online, with the information mostly as intermittent releases like Labor Voices. For listeners that don't know that, that's an online newsletter that the Labor Party puts out. Looking at the last two, the 11th of August references targets without quantifying them, and the 23rd of April one extols what they call co-funding industrial decarbonization, which is expected to reduce emissions by about 391,000 tonnes of CO2 a year. But in reality, according to the latest IPCC reports, that reduction falls quite short of a rate of some 10 times greater that we really need, um, and it gets greater with every delay. How would Labour ensure we step up our decarbonisation so that it's 10 times what's expressed in positive terms in that press release? What I what I'll note first of all is that we haven't yet released at the time of um, doing this interview we haven't yet released our climate change policy for the election and so um, Labor's um, policy um, for the election is being rolled out gradually and so there will be a point when our climate policy is specifically re- released. It's, it is a little bit of, about where do I start and so I might start a wee bit with some of the work that we've been doing with the Giddy Fund, which is. Um, Sorry, what fund is that? The Giddy Fund. So I was just going to tell you what that means. It's a nice acronym, Lindsay. So Giddy, it's spelled G-I-D-I. So that's the Government Investment in Decarbonising Industry Fund. And so what's really exciting about this fund is that this is where we are hypothecating the money that comes through um, emitters' own um, contributions that they are required to make um, under the emissions trading scheme. And so what's um, good about this fund, this isn't actually coming out of the central government um, general fund. Uh, it's not coming out of general taxation. This is funding that comes through the emissions trading scheme that is now being able to be reinvested back into decarbonising um, funds. And so, you know, the biggest one was with, Ontario, which was announced uh, back in July, and you may have seen that announcement, which what it did was it's a partnership with Fonterra to support Fonterra to get to their emissions reductions um, plans faster than they had originally planned for. And so, um, you know, that investment actually is the equivalent of taking 120,000 cars off the road and it would deliver 2.69% of our required emission reductions between 2026 and 2030. So we've had criticism from um, other parties that this is corporate welfare, which we actually want to be really clear about that it isn't. It's not coming from the taxpayer. It's coming from the private sector itself. And you say coming from the private sector, that's via the ETS, is that right? Correct. Thank you. That's one of the things that I, um, you know, that that government is really pleased about is that we are hypothecating that money. So we are actually making sure that we're spending it back into projects that will deliver emissions reductions. We've had another one with New Zealand Steel, which um, Mm -hmm. another another project, and then there's others including wind wind farms and more solar panels. So there's a lot of work going on through these schemes. 
um, when we're actually able to reinvest. And I want to just pick up a little bit on a couple of things there. Some of the pushback on things like New Zealand Steel and Fonterra is not necessarily that it's using the ETS funding, but that Fonterra have been dragged screaming and kicking forever into trying to decarbonize, get them to decarbonize. And New Zealand Steel is um, is a subsidiary of a very profitable organization. And, and I think some of the pushback is, hey, why are we why are we putting big dollars to organizations that really could fund it quite adequately themselves? There's two things I'll say to that. So in both of these deals, it has also required significant investment from the private organization as well. So what our investment has done is help to unlock investment from the private sector. Uh, because, look, I agree with you that a lot of these industries have been too slow moving. And so what government is doing is partnering with them to bring them along faster and actually to, by 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 putting some funding in, actually bringing them along uh, uh, faster than they otherwise would have. So that's the... Um, that's, that's the... Uh, rationale behind the process is because if we don't get these big emitters on board and actually moving faster then we're not going to meet our targets and uh you know they they are large emitters they play a large contribution into our current emissions and so anything we can do to help drag them there faster um mm-hmm. if that's the terminology you want to use then um then that's what we're doing um and i think it's been a real success of this government that uh, we've been able to actually make those changes and put those projects in place to get them there faster. Uh, I want to roll on now to the question of energy and targets. Reputable organisation Climate Action Tracker, that's an international organisation, rates New Zealand climate policies and actions as, quotes, highly insufficient, close quotes. On the 13th of July, as we all know, the High Court ruled that the government hadn't taken enough account of the Climate Change Commission's advice on carbon budgets, and yet Labour's press release on the 11th of August, i.e. after both of those, claims the BlackRock deal, quotes, shows our ambitious targets have the world's attention, close quotes. How how does Labour reconcile, firstly, those widely divergent perspectives, and secondly, that the BlackRock-funded quest for 100% renewable electricity is actually contrary to the Interim Climate Change Committee's advice that that wasn't the best approach and was aligned with the carbon price of an incredible $1,200 a tonne, where it's sitting at 60 at the moment. Well, Lindsay, the first thing I'd say, just at, at the back end of that question, is that we need to be working on all areas of emissions reduction. So I, I think in government's view is that we can't be um, focus only, focusing only on one area and not on others. And so um, while that advice from the Climate Commission of course, has to be um, considered and followed. We do also need to make sure that we're not leaving any part of our emissions um, profile left to chance. And so we have to keep um, driving in that area. What I would point you to is um, the response from James Shaw, our uh, climate change minister. And I know, obviously, he is he is Green Party minister, but um, we are also, being the party in government, um, we are also in that uh, a position where we're also responding as, as government as well. And so um, so, so James Shaw very much holds that role. And um, what he has been really, really clear about is 
um, that that judicial review process was focused on the process um, around the the setting decisions, not the actual decisions themselves. Um, and that government has then taken steps, has acknowledged that there were deficiencies in the process and moved quickly to fix them. So um, I think um, what I would say is that those those court uh, cases can be incredibly helpful when, in this stage, it was a group of lawyers who took um, oh, took, yeah, a, yeah. took the government yeah. to court. A really useful thing to do um, to be able to ensure that um, government's being held to account and that our processes are, are being being um, properly followed. Um, and so, I would just say that the response, you know, to that did come out um, later in July from the climate change minister. And so, I guess, I guess, you know, we we are putting a lot of focus. I've touched on transport already, but we are putting a lot of focus on transport. Um, because we know that um, that uh, that is where we can make a real difference, particularly around the uptake of electric vehicles, which has gone better than originally expected. So we are starting to see a huge increase in the number of electric vehicles coming into New Zealand, and that is then supporting us to make really good progress on a second-hand car market, which is ultimately what we want to see is um, second-hand electric vehicles that are, sold at a lower price point that I just want to push back that we're getting off track of a of a hundred percent renewable challenge yes, there, yes. Thought for I'll, a moment. Yes, okay. I'll, I'll I'll come back I'll come back to um the beginning of your question around getting on track. But Lindsay, I really welcome and I know government um welcomes and our party welcomes people continuing to um highlight the need for us to keep going faster and harder on climate change. Um it is no doubt that it is the biggest issue facing New Zealand and facing the globe, and we have to just keep moving. And so I um, I never have any issue with people criticising us and saying we're not going fast enough. Um, what we've seen locally in Nelson is the impact of climate change events on our city. And... Um, just touching on my background in terms of being a trade unionist and um, at working in the areas of social justice. Um, can I just hold you there, Rachel? Yes. The question is about energy and targets, and I'm mm. totally with you on social justice, but but I haven't yet got an answer to my question on energy and targets. Well, I've got some of the answer, in fairness, James Shaw's response. So it's time we moved on to transport, Rachel. I could ask you lots of other questions about what we've just been talking about. But it's widely known that expanded road capacity acts as a stimulus both for additional travel and for additional urban development in the expanded catchment, both of which come with the serious climate consequences. If a hope bypass is pursued, how would Labour ensure that the claimed benefits of such a bypass are realised without the escalated emissions and congestion that are a normal, if unintended, consequence of such work? Thanks, Lindsay. I'm really glad you've asked this question because um, it has to be a very important part of the consideration of the design of um, the intervention at Lower Queen Street. What we're seeing at the moment at Lower Queen Street is a very congested little intersection because the layout is just so badly designed. And what causes me real concern is that we have trucks, like, for example, logging trucks that come through that area, um, other large trucks that take goods to port, interacting with 
people who are walking and cycling interacts with the Great Taste Trail. Uh, we ha um, have young children crossing the road to get to school. Uh, I've had a number of near misses reported to me of people on mobility scooters trying to cross that intersection and um, almost being taken out by um, logging trucks. And the reason this has happened is because we've had that housing development at Berryfields. And so we've added people to a industrial area without thinking about how we were going to make the area work better for people. And so my goal for this particular intervention is that it doesn't add um, any induced demand because that's what you're talking about is when you build Correct. and you read, Correct. you end up with induced demand. What it must do is address the layout issues and the safety issues and it must ensure that there is adequate walking, cycling routes throughout the whole design because at the moment we don't have those. Um, it also will need to have a lot of uh, priority for buses throughout it. And so mm. um, there could be opportunities for uh, priority bus lanes in this particular area uh, and and also looking at um, other priority laning, for example, T3 lanes where you need three or more mm. people in the vehicle to have priority. It mustn't just be slapping down for a four-lane highway and then hoping that it's going to address everything. Um, but we do need to do something in that intersection. It, it, it isn't feasible for us to continue with an intersection that has logging trucks, cars, bikes, walkers, and uh, mobility scooters all using the same piece of road. Um, it is very, very unsafe, and we, we want to make sure that kids can walk across there safely, um, that people can get across safely on their mobility scooters, and that we really um, make it easier for people to walk in that area as well. So there are times when we actually do need to invest in, in a new road of some kind, but not necessarily a, um, focused on a road that's that's for cars, focused on... Focused on um, on a new design that's going to work for people, that's going to work for buses, while also acknowledging that it is an area that has a lot of industrial traffic there already that has been there with established industrial um, um, uh, organisations like Nelson Pine based there that also need to be able to get around. Thank you. Some really interesting things in your answer there, Rachel, and I agree with an awful lot of what you said. I would say, just listening to what you've said, what we need is a um, an accessible pedestrian and cycle overbridge, not a, a a huge traffic overbridge to address that. I'll just comment on that. Ultimately, the design is for Wakakatahi to do, but as the local MP, I will be uh, pushing hard that there is a lot of consultation over what what the intervention looks like. Um, and what I'm really pleased about is that I've got the support from ministers to actually get on and do it. Thank you for that. Okay, well, we are closing out of time, as you know. And um, my listeners know that I love, when I've got a guest like you, that I love to invite you to, to tell us in this context why a vote for you would be the most effective way to vote for those Nelsonians wishing their votes to have the maximum benefit for Aotearoa New Zealand's climate responses. Well, thanks, Lindsay. Um, I'm really proud of the work that I've managed to get on and achieve in my first three years as a Member of Parliament. 
And uh, given that transport is one of the biggest issues for us in terms of our emissions profile, um, I have uh, proven and shown my commitment to sustainable transport. And, um, uh, you know, Nelson has an MP who believes in public transport, who wants to see investment in walking and cycling, who wants to see modal shift, um, wants to be able to see kids getting back on their bikes and biking to school. You know, that's my vision for Nelson is that we don't have to rely on private car vehicles to get around. And we've made some fantastic progress, but there's a lot more to do. We've managed to do some amazing work, the community, local government and central government all working together. And it's important to me that we continue that work, that we don't um, go backwards. So I'm really asking for people to continue their support for me and and for Labour so we can keep moving forward in terms of making transport better in Nelson. Thank you very much for that. Uh, That's a good answer, Rachel. And so with that, we do have to come to an end, I'm afraid. Uh, We really are out of time. So thank you so much for fronting up and sharing your views and with listeners and me on this episode. Na mihi nui ki akwe, Rachel. Kia ora. Thanks, Lindsay. Well, that was a full interview and unsurprising that Rachel, as the sitting MP, had a fair bit to say about a lot of the issues. Thank you very much for your company today. Thanks to Rachel for joining us. And I wish you a good week. Hope to have your company again next week. And in the meantime, kia kaha for the climate. The podcast you just listened to was a live recording of a radio show, first broadcast on Fresh FM with support from New Zealand On Air. Fresh FM is a community access media station based in Te Tauihu, the top of the South Island, New Zealand. The funding of Access Media makes these podcasts possible. To find similar programs by other community access media stations, go online to accessmedia.nz. If you or your group would like to know more about how you can have a program on our station, please contact us. Visit our website freshfm.net for our contact details.